just immediately told me my son had microcephaly. I was in shock in this appointment. I remember the geneticist telling us he was basically missing a G. I've never encountered this world of kids with special needs until I was in it personally. Genetics isn't always black and white, and the emotions and decisions surrounding genetic testing can be even more complex. Welcome to Patient Stories with Gray Genetics. I'm Eleanor Griffith, a certified genetic counselor and the founder of Gray Genetics, a telehealth genetic counseling and consulting service. It seems like there are constantly headlines in the news about genetics, but few news stories focus on the patient experience. At Gray Genetics, we are collecting patient stories, your stories. Every other Tuesday, we share an interview with a patient or a genetic counselor. Ford is like just up for anything all the time. He loves everyone. He's all there. He makes it good. Effie Parks is the mother of a nearly two and a half year old son named Ford. A year ago, when he was 16 months old, he was diagnosed with CTNNB1 syndrome, caused by a mutation in the CTNNB1 gene. This is a rare condition. Since the time of her son's diagnosis, Effie has been learning as much as possible about this condition and delving into the world of rare disease more generally. I'm really happy that she reached out to share her story. Your son Ford um, is now almost two and a half, and when he was 16 months old, he was diagnosed with CTNNB1 syndrome. What is CTNNB1 syndrome? I had never heard of it before I connected with you, and I'm guessing that most of our listeners will also not have heard of it. So basically, the CTNNB1 gene uh, uses a protein, uh, beta-catenin. This protein, uh, unfortunately, has a lot of jobs. Um, It has to do with cell growth, uh, cell adhesion, cell reproduction, uh, you know, the whole waterfall effect of how things work and grow and... um, yeah, so I don't know, depending on where the gene is clipped and what exactly is going on will uh, depend on what sort of severity of outcomes you get, but um, they're either not producing enough or it's sort of just short, this protein. Yeah, and in Ford's case, I think you said that the geneticist told you that there's one letter missing for him in that gene, and that's that's what caused the syndrome in his case. Yeah, in his case. I think it's, I think everyone's uh, genetic explanation is a little bit different. Um, but yeah, Ford was deleted the letter G in this particular uh, situation. And what do they usually say for kids who have CT and NB1 more generally? Like what, what does that diagnosis usually mean in terms of longer term development? Or is that something that's really known? Just off the top, it's a pretty basic explanation. Um, They tell you global developmental delay, speech delay, motor delay, um, cognitive, you know, disabilities um, that with therapy will hopefully get better through time. Um, Also, random things like the, you know, the really... uh, lack of pigment, you know, white hair, white skin, um, which doesn't matter at all. Um, I think it's just a little extra bit that's weird. Um, But yeah, it's kind of just cognitive motor speech, big things right there. Right. But no, on the other side, there's no, it's not like there's congenital heart defects or problems with the kidneys, no like structural defects that, that require surgery, but feeding issues related to hypotonia. Yeah, we don't really have that answer just because everyone is so young. We don't really know what maybe happens later from this protein not working correctly. Um, And it's different, like I said, with every kid. I know some kids have had maybe a heart scare. Some kids have some weird vision, uh, retinal detachment things going on. Um, Nothing super scary at this point, as far as I know that, you know, we're all like dreading happening, but mostly because we have no idea, which isn't the worst thing, I guess. What led to Ford's diagnosis with CT and NB1 syndrome? 
Um, after about a year of, you know, just back and forth going in and out, learning that there was something wrong in general, um, our geneticist really wanted to have a whole exome sequencing done because nothing had been picked up on all of the basic tests that they take. So she um, originally thought that uh, Ford actually had a rare and pretty scary form of albinism called uh, Hermansky-Pudlak syndrome. Ford's very fair. He has, uh, you know, translucent skin. So that's kind of what she was pushing for in the beginning. I don't know if that was just a way to get insurance to accept it or or what. Um, Is that something that she expected to find on whole exome sequencing or she had already done some testing to rule that out before you went ahead with whole exome sequencing? Um, she had done testing, but nothing had showed up, like I said. Um, she okay. was really just going off his appearance, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, cause after even researching that, when she said the words, he really didn't fit any of those, um, you know, symptoms other than white hair and white skin. Um, right. nothing else really fit. So I'm not really sure, like I said, if this was just kind of a way to get in the door of the whole exome sequencing or if that mm-hmm. is really what she thought was going on. Yeah. And so he was 16 months old at the time. Did when was it? And he Ford is your first, uh, your first child, right? Correct. So was it? Did you have any issues while you were pregnant, or how soon after you delivered did it become obvious that there that there was something wrong? Yeah, I thought my pregnancy was perfect. Um, we found out a few months later that there was actually um, reports of interutero growth restriction while I was pregnant which we didn't know about until later. Um, Unfortunately, that ball sort of got dropped and was never relayed to us as a family. Um, So we went along happily and thought everything was perfect. And for the first couple months after we had Ford, you know, it it was almost impossible to feed him. We would you know, have to have a towel under his under his chin because it would just be soaked by the time we were done. You know, we'd get as much as we could down him, but he just wasn't really swallowing. And I'm not Mm -hmm. sure we realized that it was him not swallowing for a while. We kept going into the pediatrician and saying he seemed so uncomfortable all the time and he was, you know, up crying all night, every night. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, he had like severe constipation and kind of just got blown off a lot as new parents um, Mm -hmm. who were just worried and, you know, they said colic and all of these things. Um, And then finally at like the three month mark, our pediatrician did say that she was worried and, you know, she kind of let us in on some of the prenatal stuff that we didn't really know about that Ford wasn't necessarily growing um, properly. Hmm. She also said she felt like his fontanel was closing too quickly. Hmm. And that's originally the reason she sent us to a specialist at Children's Hospital. Um, So we went to, I think our first appointment was with neurodevelopment or Hmm. craniofacial, maybe both together, um, over the concern that his soft spot was closing. And when we got there, we were totally blindsided. I think she thought we had already had some information about something, and she just immediately told me my son had microcephaly. Was that, I mean, now you, I know you've read a lot about this, and like you're casually throwing around words like fontanelle and soft spot, but <laughs> at, at the time, like was that, micro, when she said microcephaly, was that term meaningful to you? I mean, the the second this neurodevelopment uh, doctor said that, I just thought of Zika, right? Like, that's the only time I'd ever heard oh. that word. Yeah, interesting. Um, so I didn't know what it was. I asked her, you know, I was like, it's, it's such a wave of like, I mean, I was, I was in shock in this appointment. Mm-hmm. I was expecting her to <clears throat> touch Ford's head and tell me, oh, it's fine, you know, no big deal. And she, 
yeah, she just started telling me that microcephaly causes, you know, moderate to severe mental retardation. They have a shortened lifespan. They have this, they have that. And I hadn't heard any of this. I hadn't heard that we were afraid of anything other than, you know, my doctor very recently saying something about his head. Mm -hmm. She said his soft spot was perfectly fine and that it wasn't closing. Um, and that, that that was you know, not the issue. That, but that, that had nothing to do with issue. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and she put up all these numbers. She told me Ford was more than three standard deviations between the norm and that he indeed had microcephaly. And then we kind of got sent out the door at this point. And then it just became appointment after appointment trying to get to the bottom of what was happening. After that um, initial appointment with a, was it a neurologist that you saw, a pediatric neurologist or a craniofacial clinic? I think it was craniofacial clinic, the very first one. Okay. Do you know, was the geneticist part of that or did you see a pediatric geneticist as part of follow-up to try to understand what was going on? We saw the geneticist as follow-up. Okay. Yeah, we weren't originally sent to genetics. Um. I think we saw neurology after this. I think she sent us to neurology. Mm-hmm. Um, and we cycled through a few different neurologists through this process, trying to find the correct one that sort of dealt with what Ford had going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think shortly after we were sent to genetics, we met with them, I think, a couple months after this all started. And what was your experience like with genetics? Um, well, our first appointment was less intimidating. We have really amazing uh, family. I mean, we're around Casey's family here in particular, and his parents are just amazing, and they're so smart. <laughs> Casey's your husband? Casey's my husband. Okay. So, sorry. His parents came with us. His uh, mother-in-law is really smart. She's a doctor. We brought her with us just to help us sort of navigate it. Um, so, I wouldn't say it was a super intimate appointment at first. Um, she just kind of explained that she wanted to get this testing done. This is what it is. This is what she thinks it is. And, you know, explain the whole exome sequencing process to us. Um, and, and this is, I think you're the first patient I'm interviewing for this, for this podcast where we're, we're maybe the second, but we haven't talked very much about exome sequencing. So was, is that something you'd heard of before that appointment? No, no, I hadn't heard of it. And what, like, what would you say your understanding of exome sequencing is now? Or how do you explain it to other people, the testing that he had done? Yeah, so whole exome sequencing, they basically uh, obviously take blood from Ford, me, and my husband, and they sort of map out everything and compare things. Um, I'm not sure if it's as sophisticated as like a whole genome process. I'm sort of learning about that. Um, yeah. I mean, a whole exome, yeah, so whole exome, they're looking at all of the genes in detail, all of the letters to look for spelling errors or things that might be missing or extra that could help explain um, a condition. But exactly like you said, ideally the way to do it is to also look at the parent's DNA so you can kind of compare because we know we all have little changes that might be missing or different or extra, and a lot of them are not meaningful <laughs> so they can really right. be like red herring so it really helps to you know to compare ford's dna to your dna um casey's dna because you know if they see something that looks a little odd but then they see that both one of one of you has the same thing you know that you're healthy adults it's very unlikely that that that, that would explain um you know his microcephaly or other issues yeah 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 so it was really simple you know they just took our blood told us they call us in a couple months. Um, Our genetic counselor kept in really close contact with us, and she still does. She thinks about us and will pop us a message, and um, she's really helpful and really easy to talk to. 
Um, so she did get back to us months later and told us they did have a finding, but it was completely different than what they thought it was and that they'd call me in a day or two. Mm-hmm. Um, where, yeah, they did find this de novo mutation of CTNNB1. Um, and I remember the geneticist telling us he was basically missing a G. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he's missing a G everywhere or just in the CTNNB1 uh, gene. Um, yeah, it should be just missing, yeah, that one letter missing in that gene that could completely affect affect the function. Yeah, yeah. And when you say de novo, that means that it's something that you and your husband did not have that just occurred in him for the first time. Correct. It just occurred in Ford. Also, a secondary finding of BRCA1 showed in Ford and neither of us. Um, hmm. We've been contacted by, like, uh, Claire King's lab. I think she uh-huh. discovered BRCA1. Um, yeah. And they are very curious and want to test us to see that that is not true, <laughs> I think. Um, we haven't done that yet, just because we needed a little breathing room after all of this information um, to see if there's any sort of mosaicism and maybe they, one of us do carry BRCA1 and it just wasn't where they were looking. So we will do that. Um, we just wanted to make sure that that decision was made safely, information-wise, and all of these things. Yeah. So that's the information that we were given. And it was all a little unexpected. A lot unexpected. So you initially, I mean, your pediatrician seems like started agreeing with you that there was something going on when he was about three months and then you saw genetics around uh, six months maybe and then finally got this diagnosis when he when he was over a year old correct and then how how has that diagnosis been helpful or has it been helpful in terms of just day-to-day care for your son or just kind of planning with your husband and thinking about um, what it's going to be like to keep caring for your son as he gets older yeah I mean I'm so grateful to have a diagnosis uh, for the just for the fact of finding a network, right, of people that know exactly what you're going through, who have kids that maybe you can feed off of in some way. You can share, you know, medical tips. You can share therapy tips. You can see your kids and these other kids. All of our kids look very similar. Um, and is it, am I right that there's like currently there's fewer than a hundred individuals worldwide with the same diagnosis that Ford has? Yeah. So when um, our genetic counselor was giving us all the information, she told us there was 30 uh, published cases. She said there was about 30 kids and that they were all under the age of 12. And, you know, she said most of them can't talk or walk. Some of them know several words, however. And then when I discovered this world of Facebook groups, which I didn't know existed, I found 50 kids, actually. There was a Facebook group. So there was 20 more than she had known about. And then since that day, you know, almost 100 more have been uh, diagnosed. So it's happening quickly. Um, I don't know if whole exome sequencing is becoming more accessible and more affordable or if since this is so new it's just showing up more in general when they're testing yeah and then i would think with something like facebook group facebook groups too even if someone's not publishing an article there's just like more awareness of how many people are out there with it because more of those people are finding one another online right and back to your question sorry there's about 130 kids on our site now okay um i noticed so there's a an organization, CTNNB1 Syndrome Awareness Organization. Uh, and I noticed, let's see, the contact for that organization was someone who has the same last name as you. So I, I did wonder if, <laughs> if that was coincidence or if you'd started that, that organization. That's very recent. Um, this website and this uh, whole nonprofit was started by parents. Like uh, a few parents in the group have been working on this. Um, so hard and figured out how to do everything and recently one of my beautiful mother-in-laws has actually taken over as president um 
to take a little weight off of these parents who are so busy. And she has experience in this world um, of creating nonprofits and um, just all of these things. So she recently took it over just a couple weeks ago, actually. Um, That's awesome. And she's going to help us figure out where to go to next. Networking, uh, you know, just getting things a little more traction on things. Um, yeah. So we're all really excited. She was supposed to retire this year, um, mm-hmm. and then she took this over. So <laughs> hopefully. So she, got she got it. She took on a different job instead of retiring. Yeah, which, you know, is kind of her thing. She probably wouldn't be able to sit still if she tried. So it's. I think it's taking a lot of pressure off these parents who already have a lot going on, but it still has someone who is very connected to this community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and so having, cool. having your son's diagnosis, has that changed um, your day-to-day with him or medical recommendations? Or is it really hard um, for that to be the case just because it is so rare and he's also just um, such a young child at this point? I mean, my life is definitely different than all of my friends who have kids the same age as Ford. You know, we spend most of our time going to appointments, uh, Mm -hmm. being in therapy, um, just trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B. So it is very different, I think, than the normal experience, right, of becoming a parent. Um, it definitely feels more normal to us now. Um, as you can see, I'm not like completely into this magical land of acceptance. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've listened to a lot of stories from parents where they're like super happy (laughs) and, you know, I get it, but I don't really connect with it fully. Uh I feel like, I feel like there's a little grief that I think might always follow us. Yeah in, you know, just not having this experience that we thought we were going to have. And I mean, Ford was your first baby. Was this a a planned pregnancy or was it a surprise? Yeah, it was planned for sure. Casey and I wanted to be parents. um, Yeah, forever. We both have always wanted to be parents. So this was a surprise. Uh, You know, both of our families Mine especially, I have a, a really big family, and there's never been any issues. Um, I've never encountered this world of kids with special needs until I was in it, personally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, day-to-day is definitely different, um, but it's also, you know, it's easier every day. Uh We're figuring it out. Ford is like just up for anything all the time. He loves everyone. He he loves all of his therapists. He loves doing it. He works so hard. So he makes it he makes it good. You know, Mm -hmm. he's he doesn't know any different. I feel like sometimes I might see that he feels a little left out in certain situations, but He's also just so excited to try to do things, whether it's like, you know, physical or speech. He gets so excited when he accomplishes something. Uh Uh-huh. It sounds like he has a great personality. (laughs) He is the coolest, funniest kid ever, which I think is across the board what parents with kids like Ford (laughs) say, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. they're just like, there's something about him. There's something about him. And, you know, they put so many things in perspective and you you let a lot of things go that you thought, you know, mattered and they don't. Like you just save space for really, really important things. Yeah. You mentioned initially like one of the one of the issues that you were having was he was having trouble swallowing. Mm-hmm. Um, how is it now for him with does he are there still feeding difficulties or how have you learned to to work around that like what if his i mean his milestones are going to be different than for other kids but what if what kind of development have you watched him go through just as he's growing up 
Yeah, Ford is actually still currently on a G-tube. Um, he's had a feeding tube since that first introduction of when we went to the hospital. Um, you know, it was a failure to thrive thing. Um, we learned so many new terms. Um, <laughs> and just right people, away. For people who are, who are listening who don't know, what is, what is a G-tube? A G-tube is um, surgically placed in their stomach. Um, most kids will have like a nasal little tube for a while that you may have seen. And just after a while, it usually has to be transferred to their belly um, if it's going to be more long-term. Um, so yeah, it's just a, a little balloon. They like sew your stomach lining in there and, you know, you just hook it up to a little tube and press start. It's really simple, actually. <laughs> That's the way he's getting his nutrition. There's no issues with him like throwing throwing food on the floor. There's no fights over what he what's he what he's going to be eating. We, yeah, yeah, we have that every day. We work <laughs> every day on trying to get Ford to eat, and it kind of goes in waves. Sometimes he's sometimes he's open to it, and sometimes he does really good. Um, we never get enough down him that we can like actually skip like a formula feeding through his G tube. Okay, but. You know, sometimes it's really exciting. He opens his mouth, he chews, he swallows. It's really awesome. Um, but most of the time, he violently refuses it. And it's probably, I mean, I think at this point, it's so many things. Um, Ford has really severe truncal hypotonia. Um, Which is so like muscle th- weakness. Yeah, it's muscle weakness. He's, he still isn't sitting at two and a half Um, so I think that affects his swallow a lot. Um, you know, he's had severe reflux. I think that affects it. Um, there's a lot of factors I think that have kind of put us a little behind in feeding, Mm -hmm. but he works really hard. Hopefully we'll be off that sooner than later. Mm -hmm. Um, so he can realize how delicious French fries are. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and and then i'm guessing some of that can just be like a normal kid thing where kids kind of exert the little bit of control they have which is in saying no to certain things that their parents want them to say yes to (laughs) totally totally there's definitely probably some of that um you know they like to be independent and make their own choices so that has something to do with it um but yeah he's currently still on a g-tube and thank god for that i mean once I realized that Ford wasn't getting any nutrition or getting enough, knowing that I could feed him was just a huge weight lifted. Mm-hmm. Cause that wasn't happening apparently for the first couple of months. Yeah. That sounds really scary. So I, I don't have any ill feelings toward the G tube. Although I do want it out sooner than later. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be nice not to need it anymore. It's a lot to pack around. You got a lot of stuff anyways. And you are actually um, expecting a second baby in just five weeks. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, we're having a little girl in five weeks. Um, and was, was this one a surprise or planned? A little bit of both. Timing was a little bit of surprise. But uh, yeah, you know, we knew our family wasn't complete at one child. Um, I really, really want a sibling for Ford. Uh-huh. Um, I have many siblings, and I can't imagine not giving that to my child. I love them. They're my favorite people. <laughs> How many siblings do you have? I have 12 siblings. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot. It doesn't seem like that many when you're all grown up, but it's, uh-huh. it's a shock to most people. Yes, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Does Casey also come from a big family, your husband? Casey has uh, one brother, but all of his family is kind of concentrated here, so it feels larger, aunts, uncles, okay. things like that. Okay. Yeah. And how has your pregnancy when, with your daughter been different? Just for one thing, wasn't, you know, not your first time being pregnant anymore, but also just, uh, you know, knowing that, you know, you went through everything with Ford, um, some information really wasn't given to you that it sounds like should have been given to you? Like, how has that affected how you just feel emotionally about this this new pregnancy? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think in general, I'm just better at making sure I have information. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I didn't really feel like I, it was my place to necessarily question a doctor or anything like that. And now I do. Um, Mm -hmm. And I make sure I get everything I want when I leave an appointment. And if I don't, I'll change doctors. Um, So this round, um, just making sure, you know, I'm having growth scans taken, um, which are all looking great. Um, I'm I'm just kind of staying on top of it and not just going in going, oh, I feel great. I love it. I'm happy. Bye. Um, I'm making sure that everything's documented um, online, like my medical information in general with the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a CVS done around like 11 weeks just to double check if by some crazy roulette that this baby also had CTNNB1. She does not. Mm-hmm. I think that was almost impossible. Not impossible, but um, we checked anyways just to mentally prepare if we needed to. Yeah. Um, and everything is just, you know, typical. It's all good. Um, I was definitely afraid before these tests were done, but I was also so much more prepared and I could have handled it a lot better this time, I think, if that was the case. Yeah, it wouldn't have been the same the same shock since now your your normal has been dealing yeah. with a lot of issues you never thought you would have to deal with in the first place. Totally. Yes. Um we're really excited. Ford's we tell Ford about her and he just puts his hand on my tummy. So I think Ford understands everything, whether or not he can express it very well. Mm-hmm. He knows everything that we're saying, um, which is really cool, <laughs> actually. Yeah. It's better than nothing. And he's not saying any words at this point, but they think that's something that, that might happen at some point. He says dada, of course, like every evil child does. <laughs> they say dada first. <laughs> um, he's been saying dada for a while now. He's been getting really good at sign language. Um, in August, we started him, his neurologist started him on a carbidopa levodopa medication, usually okay. used for Parkinson's patients, I believe. Um, Ford has a lot of dystonia and spasticity. Mm-hmm. Um, this has given him a lot more control. So he's been able to put signs together. Um, he probably has about 25 signs under his belt that he's using daily. Um, it sounds like a lot. And he's picked this all up since being on this medication, which is so cool. Yeah, And definitely. I can't wait to, you know, continue it and maybe even up it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we talked to Ford all day, every day, just like you would any kid. And he responds in his own way. Um, just not with words, you know, mm-hmm. but he's all there. He's not like this scary, you know, like lost, locked in individual, kind of like how we were told it was going to be in the beginning. Mm-hmm. There's a, I think there's a really wide spectrum here um, where a lot of things affect kids differently and some not at all. Um, like I said, some of the kids have several words. Some of them have sentences. I think some of them can read. Um, so I think just with a lot of work, we'll see where Ford goes. Yeah. And, um, and what has been, like, what resources have been most helpful to you? It sounds like that, that Facebook group online um, has maybe been one of the most helpful things in connecting with other parents. Are there other other resources or groups related to rare disease in general that you found really helpful? Social media, yeah, in, as a whole, um, apart from this parent group, for sure. Um, joining all of the global communities, you know, like Unique and Rare Disease and all of these things. Um, podcasts, like I said, podcasts have been like a lifeline for me. Um, birth to three programs. I don't know if that's sort of a universal term, but, um, 
you know, there's therapy offered to your kids um, until they're three years old. And those people are just the most amazing therapists. Uh, and they love your kids and, you know, they have a lot of resources and sometimes they connect you to parents that they think you might, you know, melt with. Um, but mostly just being around people who see kids like your kids mm -hmm. makes you feel normal. Yeah. At first when you totally feel uh, a little lost. Yeah. So I think you just kind of gradually get connected to different things and you hear different words. So you look it up and you find their page and um, social media is so amazing. I can't imagine being a parent of a kid like this 20 years ago yeah right it's, it's, it's funny there's um I mean there's I would get it wrong if I tried to quote it but you know stats on how long it takes people with a rare disease to to find a diagnosis which um you know hopefully that's something that's changing with things like whole exome sequencing available um mm -hmm. but you know just would be so different to go through this without without those resources kind of at your fingertips on a on a computer to connect yeah with people. yeah are there yeah, i mean are, my heart goes out to people who didn't have that yeah right away have you are there any downsides that you've seen to to social media or are there other resources that you've kind of looked for and not been able to find that you you wish that would be created or that you kind of have a goal of trying to offer through your organization that you've created? I wouldn't say I've had any sort of downsides uh, in this particular um, world of social media. I feel like a lot of the parents are super supportive of each other. Um, and really genuinely try to help each other through their own experiences. What I have found really hard is just finding all of my resources without having to dig so deep, mm. without having to ask so many people, strangers, therapists, doctors. You know, I wish, and hopefully we'll work on this someday. I kind of have just like a love project that I'm working on, even just for local parents where this can be like a website you can go to when your kid is diagnosed with something or maybe not diagnosed, but something isn't right. And here are all of the phone numbers to all of these amazing people and therapists and medical supply companies and, you know, mobile companies that you can call or you can make an appointments with and have a consultation. I feel like everything is really messy What's it? What's an example of some, you know, something that you finally found, but after so much digging where it seemed like it should have been so much easier to find it? I feel like I had to find almost everything on my own. Uh, I guess I would just go to so many different Facebook groups on, uh, depending on the topic of what I need help with, whether it's like, how do I get from point A to point B with my pump and my meds and my, you know, all this equipment I need to bring or what kind of services are offered for my child that I don't know about. Like, you know, Kindering had no idea that existed. Kindering is like this birth to three program. Um, hmm. And is that something that's covered by insurance or something that's just available through the educational system for kids with special needs? Um, as far as I know, I think it is offered to your children free of charge. Unless you have insurance, they do bill it for some funding. But if you don't, you don't have to worry about it, which is awesome. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm having a hard time answering your prior question, I guess. I just feel like I've hit a wall in everything and I always just have to ask. I don't feel like I can independently find stuff um, because it's just not organized anywhere. Um, yeah, whether it's like, what do I really need for my child? Why do I get shuffled between 10 different doctors to tell me that he needs a stander? Or why do I need to be shuffled between 10 different doctors to tell me, you know, that he needs a G-tube even? Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's all just nobody. I wish the doctors communicated more effectively. I wish teams who track kids 
all had like a place they could go to to share information. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to get all of that stuff combined. And I know they're very busy and that is like a huge dream that is hard to really accommodate for them. But it's hard as a parent to do everything as an advocate for your child and make it super organized for doctors to be able to just get it all taken care of in their, you know, really short time that they have to see you. Right. That part, that part gets messy. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, I think there's like the growing trend toward multidisciplinary centers, which help people with some, some genetic diagnosis, especially, but then when it comes to something like, um, like a child with a rare disease who needs to see a lot of different specialists, like often I've seen sometimes it's the geneticist who might sort of be the quarterback of sorts for the different points of care, but then it kind of ultimately does fall on the parents, and it's not like there's a multidisciplinary group where you have, um, you know, all of the doctors sitting down and meeting together in most cases. Right, right. And I feel like in something like this, these rare diseases, um, it's almost like, okay, well, you know, this is what he has. Go and get these kinds of therapies, and that's all we can help you with. Um you know, as parents, I know there's so many parents in our group who are constantly searching for companies to notice us, to help us figure out how we get any sort of research done on this particular disorder. Um, you know, like another reason I wanted to talk to you, I mean, I've never heard of CTNNB1 and every doctor I've ever seen also hasn't heard of it until I tell them what Ford has. And I definitely had um, not heard of it until you reached out you to know. me. <laughs> it's just like there's so there's like thousands <laughs> yeah, I mean, and why thousands would you of genetic conditions. Like, you know, I'm I'm familiar in the sense that I'm not surprised when there's another condition I've heard absolutely nothing about. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I know yeah, so you many probably of them, see it a couple times a day. Yeah, and I know so many of them are, you know, like cases like yours where it's um, de novo, you know, it's a new mutation, there's no family history, it's a total surprise. Um, and the situation of just like rare disease where there's just like limited information to go on and like luckily now like more connection among, you know, parents who are out there. Um, but just not one of those some pediatric conditions that are more well defined that, you know, if maybe not any doctor, but any genetic counselor or geneticist has heard of and we kind of have a sense of what it means for a child to grow up with that condition, even with a lot of caveats, whereas something more rare like this, it's just harder to, to know like what the expectations really can be. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, so hopefully we can get under someone's umbrella eventually, you know, um, I know a lot of the kids have been misdiagnosed here and there with like cerebral palsy or autism. You know, it, it flows along this went pathway that I'm sure you're familiar with um, that hopefully we can kind of grab onto and uh, maybe get in on something at some point sooner than later um, mm-hmm. just to get a little more information about our kids. We don't know what the future looks like. Everybody's young. Um, so all of this is just like really cool and really scary. Yeah. Um, not knowing um, but science is going so quickly I mean story after story is just like it's really exciting we're just you know a couple of years too early I think as parents in this particular uh, syndrome yeah but hopefully as you know as Ford keeps growing up you'll be in a position where there's more information um, yeah Definitely. Or at least more information from even with the parent group you're in, like more anecdotal information at the least is something it sounds like you can count on, just how it's going for other people with their kids. Yeah. And our genetic counselor is so helpful. She just emailed me 10 links the other day of, you know, new uh, publications she's found. Um, So it's nice to know that it's still planted in a in a couple people's minds um, to just help us all work towards, you know, figuring this out a little more yeah. for our kids. Having, I mean, having gone through the experience that you've gone through so far, and this is still very new for you and you're a young parent, but 
What would you say to oh, another? You. I'm a young parent. <laughs> you are. Sorry, go ahead. No, right? You are a young parent. I mean, this is like you were saying. You're still kind of like getting used to this, like the diagnosis. And like anyone of a any parent of a two and a half year old, I would say, is like a like a new young parent. But especially when you have something <laughs> like this, where it's like, um, you know, like a new frontier and nothing like you expected. Um, but what would you like? What would you say to other? parents out there who are listening who are maybe you know in a similar situation but not as far along as you are like maybe they have a child at three months who they're worried about or 16 months and just getting a diagnosis like is there anything that you would say that you would have done a little bit differently to try to find some of those answers a little faster or that you did that in retrospect you can see was like really helpful in terms of getting you connected with the right resources Um, yeah, I think, like I said, I'm a big social media believer. I would say go find the blogs, go find the stories, go find the podcasts, uh, go find the Facebook groups. I didn't know they existed before. There's, there's a whole underworld of Facebook. You can have a group for anything, every symptom that your child, there's a group for. Um, finding that is so helpful. Connecting with people that, know what your day-to-day is like is huge you know your 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 amazing family and your amazing friends can support you um but they don't really get it mm-hmm. unfortunately they just they can't really go to that place with you um so finding that is really important i also think that it's important to sort of sit in the grief for a minute you know a lot of people want you to be happy and move forward and like, you know, be this awesome, strong advocate right away. But you need to kind of take a moment. And sometimes you need to take a moment every day or once a week. It kind of starts to get easier and shorter. But I think it's really important to feel what you're going through mm-hmm. and not not block it out, but also not get stuck in this vortex of dwelling in sadness and grief. I think a lot of people can get stuck. So you just have to make sure when you do let yourself sort of feel this stuff that you still leave an opening that you can get out of easily enough to, you know, not get completely consumed where you can't be a parent because you have this adorable beautiful smart child that needs you obviously how so, you, that that balance sounds so tricky to find what what have you found helps you um both allow yourself to to grieve you know the the child you you thought you would have which would be a ford who's totally healthy without these issues and then still you know be in the moment of being the parent of who he is a hundred percent my support system has allowed me to kind of go through this. Um, I mean, I originally even like my younger sister came over and she let me just go to my room and she watched forward while, you know, Casey was at work and she took care of my life and let me just, you know, be upset. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone has gotten pretty used to me, obviously being (laughs) pretty emotional so I don't even feel weird about doing that anymore um when I need to be upset I just let myself be upset or sad it doesn't last very long because Ford will be across the room like giving me some mischievous look (laughs) and then I'm okay Uh um but yeah my support system is so amazing everyone is so helpful uh you know people will come over and be like hey why don't you go run an errand I'm gonna watch Ford that stuff helps. Not everyone has that. Uh-huh. I am so grateful I have that. I think if I was alone in this, it would be much harder to probably dig myself out of any sort of emotional state that isn't comfortable. Um, you know, like I said, I have a lot of siblings and We've all kept each other pretty responsible and strong. Um, So I feel like I just learned a lot of really good habits of getting through life in general. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, Ford too, like I said, just coming back, taking a breath, 
looking at this amazing kid I have who makes me laugh every day. I'm like, okay, Effie, it's not a big deal. There's wheelchairs <laughs> for that or there, you know, like it's okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, it's a, it's an interesting balance that you really have to be conscious of. Um, and I think parents know when they're, or anyone when they're almost getting too deep in stress and, uh, you know, just sadness. I think you know. I think you have an instinct of, okay, I need to let this go for now, or it's just going to be really depressing. Yeah. I think you just have to notice that sort of line and take action to help. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Yeah. That's how I do it. (laughs) That that totally does. Totally does make sense. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I think kind of like, kind of like you said, like connecting with other, other patients and like looking for podcasts and looking to other, for listening to other patient stories has helped you. I'm sure like this is going to help other, you know, other parents who are in that similar situation to just hear, you know, like how you're going through this and handling everything. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And thanks for making a podcast like this. I think it's so important and you do such a good job. And your voice is so pleasant to listen to, which really <laughs> I have, helps. <laughs> I've, I've, it's like one of those things I have not gotten used to hearing my own voice, but it's like I was, I'm like, do the editing. I'm just like, you know, <laughs> it's not fun to hear one's recorded voice, but that's nice to hear from the outside anyway. <laughs> it really is. Um, yeah. So hopefully this helps in any way. Um, I don't know. I definitely didn't come into this with any sort of plan other than I want maybe a Google search to pop up for another parent who's like, what is happening? Um, come find us on Facebook. <laughs> if you'd like to share your story, send an email to podcast at graygenetics.com. Patient Stories is an ad-free podcast and is unaffiliated with any commercial genetic testing laboratories. We would like to keep it that way. You can now donate to Patient Stories online by going to graygenetics.com slash podcast slash donate. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is also not a substitute for genetic counseling. Neither Gray Genetics nor any of its guests makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Evaluation of an individual's personal and family health history is a crucial part of genetic counseling and any recommendations.